0: We are going to be in the book of Ephesians. That's a surprise, right? We were in Ephesians last week. We'll be in Ephesians next week. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. Our text this morning is going to come from uh, verses 17 to 32. And uh, all morning something has sort of nagged at me. So this is uh, not in my notes and it is not in the message. Uh, but I think it it is important um, it is important as we think about um, our salvation as we think about our understanding of the gospel of God that the gospel begins and we know this from and we have this in your worship folder you can look at that if you want when it when it talks about what our responsibilities are as those who have been, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, what our responsibilities uh are, what we what becomes of us and what it is that we are to do. And one of the things that it tells us in there that we are to do is that we are protectors of the gospel. We are we are to be those who protect it. Well to protect the gospel we gotta understand what it is. We gotta understand where it begins. And we sang lots of songs this morning that talked about where it begins. And the gospel begins with God. Doesn't it? It begins with it begins with who God is. Who is God? It begins there. God is love. That's where a lot of people want to begin, and it's true. Love is of God, and God is love. He doesn't just He doesn't just become love or He doesn't just do loving acts. It is that God is in His nature and character. Love, But if we stop there, we will miss the gospel too. Because God is holy. He's righteous. God is the judge. We also need to understand that God is just. That there is no injustice in Him. God is all of those things at the same time. We have to understand that because it can be the big question in our own hearts and minds is if God is all love and that's the fiber and nature of who he is, and God is righteous and holy because that's who he is, and that God's justice is perfect always, we have a serious problem. To think that through as a human being, as, a, as mankind, that creates a huge, huge problem. It creates a problem for every human being. That God will always exact perfect justice. That God is always love. If God is always love and God is in Himself, perfect justice. And we say we have no room to boast. We sing it. That we are sinful and fallen as we were born into Adam. And everyone born of Adam was born into sin. And that we are undone before this God who is always love and He's always just and it's perfect. If God would take our sin and lift up the carpet and sweep it under it because he loves us so much, God is not God. He stops being himself. Because that is not perfect justice, is it? It is not perfect justice. And the wrath of God against sin is right. Stick our humanity in the middle of the nature of who God is, and we have a huge God-sized problem. We have a huge problem as a human being, as a, as a human race. We have a huge God-sized problem. What do we need saving from? Certainly we need saving from ourselves, right? Because we recognize that we are sinful and fallen. What we, what we need saved from is our huge God problem. We have a huge God problem. God is right to be wrathful. God is right to be just. And God is love. He's all of those. At the same time, we have a huge God-sized problem. But God, being perfect love and perfect justice and perfect wrath, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be sin, that He would exact all that He is upon Him for our sake. God's perfect love is presented in the cross of Jesus Christ. God's right justice was meted out upon Jesus Christ on a cross for our sake. Jesus is the solution to our big God-sized problem. So we understand who God is. We understand who we are as human beings. We understand who Christ is. And the last component of the gospel, which is what we are going to really focus in on today, is the response to that truth. There's a response to that truth, isn't there? And what is it? Repentance and faith. That's the appropriate, that is the only appropriate response to what you just heard. That is the gospel. And what sometimes gets left out of the gospel is the response part. We might get the faith part because we believe lots of nice things about Jesus in the world. If you ask anybody, if you ask anybody in the world, was Jesus a righteous and holy and good teacher? The answer is probably yes. You can ask them from any other faiths that are not Christian faiths, and they will tell you that Jesus was a good man. Probably the best human being that anybody has ever known. In in whatever religion you want to look at, they would say, Jesus was a good man. Probably the best human that anybody's ever seen or known. They believe those things. That's not in a saving way, though, is it? that Jesus was the perfect man, but He is also perfectly God, that Jesus was fully man and fully God and never divorced that from Himself. And so He was the perfect atonement for our sin. But the response to that is not just to know and believe that He is who He claimed to be, but it is also... To turn, to repent and believe. Those things are together. Repent and believe. I was talking with John this morning about the, this idea that there's a, there's a tendency sometimes in the Christian faith in places where I made a profession of faith at one time. I believe. I confess that I believe in Jesus. I'm good. I repented, I turned from where I was at, and I believe. And now I just go about living any old way that I want to. I disregard the law of God and just live however I want to, but I've got my ticket. I, I, I got a ticket to paradise. I, I'm good to go, right? I, I've got this. What we're going to see in our text this morning is that repentance is not one and done. Repentance and faith is not one and done. Repentance and faith is continual. Not that you need a, a new repentance to be saved again. I'm not getting there, right? You don't need to keep repenting to be saved again. You're saved when you've repented and you believe in Jesus Christ. But then those who have been born again don't walk in the old way. They're, they're new. And that new way is constantly repenting and believing. It is, as my brother Matt reminded me this week of, of this idea that I need help with my unbelief. I believe, but I need help. I need help with my unbelief. And that is the life that we live in Christ is repentance and faith is the mark of how do you know who you are? Again, we've talked about, we talked about this for several weeks about Uh, Paul setting this up in Ephesians, that we would know who we are, that we would know who we are in Christ. He begins there. How do you know that that's you? How do you know? How can you possibly know? I mean, I know that the spirit bears witness with your spirit, and you know, in that sense, right? Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you are indeed a child of God. But how does that work out? How, how is that, how is that lived? How, how do you know that you're, if you're living the same way as everybody else, that if nothing's changed, how do you know? How do you know that that's you? How do you know that you are who you say you are? How do you know that you are who Ephesians tells us that we are? It is a life that is lived in repentance and faith. It is a continual process. So let's read from verse 17 of chapter 4 through verse 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. If we take a look at the whole of Ephesians, I want to I give a, a summary that, that, uh, that John MacArthur gives that I think is really good. He says, it's as if the apostle Paul is saying here in Ephesians, since God created a marvelous new entity in the world called the church, and because of this unique creation with its new character of humility, its unique empowerment with spiritual gifts, its unique unity as the body of Christ, its need to be built up in love, here is how every believer ought to live as a member of that church. That's kind of where he's going here, right? It's as if he's saying, God has created this, this, this these new people, that he has created them by his blood and by his sacrifice, by his love, he sent his son and created these new people. And because of that, here's how a member of that family needs to live. Now, we don't try to live that way because we're trying to earn favor from God. Get this. Remember this. We've said this a bunch. You have received favor, the greatest favor in the world. God, in love, sent Jesus to die for you. Because you have received that, this is how that family, those who have been included in that, live. That's where he's going here. And for us, think of this, that that upon this salvation, believers have been given A new mind. They've been given a new will. They've been given a new heart. A new inheritance. A new relationship. A new power. A new knowledge. New wisdom. New perception. New understanding. New righteousness. New love. New desires. New citizenship. All of this is summed up in this truth that we were given a newness of life. Remember what Romans 6 says? that we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The newness of life that believers have obtained, it's the substance of what we spoke about last week about the truth being spoken in love to our brothers and sisters. That it is this new life that we are encouraging them in, in truth and love. We are encouraging one another to live in a new way, in a new life in this life that we have in Christ. It is how we engage in this disciple-making relationships is that there's a new way to walk. There's a new way to live. It's the topic of our coffee conversations with a friend who is struggling in their marriage is that there's a new way to live in marriage. This is the word of encouragement for a young person who might be uh, being pulled back into, and they definitely will be in this life, pulled into the world system, Right? You teach them all that you can as a parent about Christ and about the Bible, and then you send them to school. and 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 They're pulled by that and pulled by society. This is the substance of our work in the ministry. This is what moves us toward uh, the end of the work of our ministry. That is, we would be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we. This is the work that we do. This is. This new walk, this newness of life that we walk in is that which leads us to full maturity. That leads us to the measure of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is who it is that we are being transformed into as the likeness of him. And this is what we need a constant reminder of, don't we? You are new. We need a reminder of that. You are new. You've been made new. The old has passed away. That the death of Christ accomplished for you a transformed life. That you have been changed. The old has passed away. One of the things that we may get mixed up is that believers are not just improved versions of their old selves. Believers are not just merely uh, an improved version of their old selves. But they're transformed. They're regenerated, reborn, new selves in Christ. They're not just a better version of what they once were. It's really that we are made new. In verse 17, it says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. This new nature is not added to the old. It's not like we have an old nature and then Christ gives us a new one, and we're just adding it to what we already are. We're not adding a new nature. We're not two natures in one body. We are a new nature. But this new nature is residing in a garment or a tent that has residual sin in it. Sin that resides in the tent. It resides in our garment. But it no longer has rain. The new nature has been given victory over it. The Christian has not attained all that they are in this life due to the fact that we live in this tent that has influencing sin. It has influence, but it doesn't have reign. It doesn't rule anymore because Christ accomplished that, right? It hinders us. We have a hindrance in the flesh in sin. In Christ, the old man who was once a slave to sin has been set free. Set free, not yet from sin's influence, but has been set free from sin's rule and is being set free from that influence. And has been set free right now as you sit from the penalty. From the penalty of sin has been paid for. Its influence is there, but it does not rule and reign. Remember back in Genesis, it says that sin is there crouching at the door. Right, It's crouching like a lion. It's ready to attack. But you shall have dominion over it. In Christ we have dominion over that which is crouching to devour us. We're not yet free from its influence. But we have been freed from its penalty. And we are being freed from its rule. And so you might ask yourselves, why then do I continue to sin? If I... If sin no longer rules me, but influences me, why? Why then do I continue to struggle with sin? Romans 7, 17-20 says, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that, it, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I don't want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I don't want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. Back to Ephesians 4. Now this I say to you, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. Paul is testifying here to the Ephesian Gentile church that with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, you are a new people who belong to the promises of God. You are new. And new people don't live like those who don't believe. Those who are not made new. Those who are alienated still from the promises of God. We don't live like those who are alienated from the promises of God. The new people who belong to God live differently. You're new. New people are not to live like those who have rejected the gospel. There are those who reject the gospel and they live in one way. There are those who have received the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and they live in another way. Those who reject the gospel, both then and still do this today, right? Think about about the people you know that have rejected the gospel, those you've presented it to again and again, and they still reject it as uh, they view themselves somehow more enlightened than you empty-headed Christians are. Right? They're somehow a little bit more enlightened. They're a little smarter. They can see things a little clearer than you can. Because you empty-headed Christians... Do nothing but lean on faith. You're blind and stupid and you need a crutch. That's what the enlightened people of the world say, those who reject the gospel of Jesus. They somehow view themselves as a little more enlightened and you as a little more empty-headed than they are. But Paul here says that they are darkened by their ignorance and not at all enlightened. They actually lack understanding and their thinking is futile. The ignorance of the unregenerated mind does not mean that that person is not intelligent or that that person is not uh, is uneducated. That unregenerated person who declares that, whose thinking is futile, who is darkened by their ignorance may be very intelligent. But take that intelligence and that wisdom and that enlightenment and combine it with a hard-heartedness towards God. It becomes a wasted and futile brilliance. You might be very brilliant and have all kinds of understanding about things, but it's wasted and futile, he says. He says, don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. It's futile. All of this wisdom and insight that they have and you empty-headed Christians don't. is futile. It's a futile thinking. Why do you think he says that it's futile? Think about Romans 1, right? The invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. And he talks about the futility of the mind there too, right? To deny God. To suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's futility. If it's clearly seen that God is God, that every human has no excuse... God is God, and they deny Him anyway. It's futile. It's a futile thinking. It's a hard-hearted, darkened mind, that waste of human brilliance. Matthew 13, 14, and 15 speaks to this futile mind that is hard-hearted towards the gospel. It says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see and hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. There are many folks who long to see and long to know what you know. to Long to know the insight that you have into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those from long ago, long for the day that they would know what you know, that they would be enlightened with the the love of God in the gospel that you know, that that they they would have ears to hear what it is that you hear, eyes to see what you have seen. He says, there are those who are walking around blind and deaf that are hard-hearted, and having a darkened mind. But not you. Not you, Christian. You have been given eyes to see and ears to hear. And Paul says this, since this is true, I want to urge you not to walk like a blind-eyed, dull-eared, hard-hearted Gentile. That, that's what he says here. Don't, because you have been given eyes to see and ears to hear, I want to urge you, don't walk around like the blind-eyed, dull-eared, hard-hearted Gentile, the unregenerated. You are new. The Gentiles, the unregenerated are callous to the things of God. But new people aren't. The new people are not callous to the things of God. The world has given themselves over to their desires of their flesh and they long to find ways to practice and engage in these fleshly desires. But not you. You are a new creation. But that's not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. See, he's saying here that the old walk is not consistent with the gospel that was revealed to you and that you have claimed to receive. If you've claimed to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you have been made new... That you were taught this truth in Jesus, that there's a new way to live, that you have been enabled by grace to be saved, that you have been empowered by grace to live in this new way, in a life that is pleasing to God, which you once could not do. But now, if this is true, if this, if what you have learned of Christ is true, you were taught that truth in Jesus, and you were taught that truth by the blood that he purchased you out of the world to this new life, to a new creation. Since that's true, Paul is saying here, there is a new way to live. If indeed you learn Christ, you will be growing in grace and learning to walk in newness of life. Because remember, we were buried therefore with him by baptism baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The way that you learn Christ, the way that you were taught him is to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That is the new way we were taught, is to put off the old and to put on the new. The tent that you and I live in is corrupted. That which is corrupted, you must by intention put off. You are to renew your mind. And we need all of our faculties, we need all of them to walk in this newness of life. So we must renew our thinking through the Word of God in His Spirit. Because can we trust our hearts? Can we trust how we feel about things? Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We must renew our thinking. And that renewed thinking comes through God's Word, through us reading and studying and praying through God's Word. And by being filled again with His Spirit, we can trust the Spirit of God and we can trust the Word of God. It is the heart of flesh that we cannot trust. Negatively, we also must put off the old mind. We must put off the old thinking. Positively, we must intentionally, proactively be being renewed. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. And we'll look at verses 1 through 10 and see that the church in Colossae, Paul writes of putting the things off and putting uh, putting off the things of the tent and putting on the things of Christ, putting off the flesh, which is resident with us but is not to reign. Notice that in this passage, as well as in our text this morning, that the Christian life, the new life, it doesn't happen by happenstance. Nothing happens in our Christian life and our growth just because. We don't just sit around and wait for something to happen. The Christian life, walking in this new way, it has to be done with intention. It's done on purpose. Notice what he's saying here in this passage and what he'll say in Colossians 3 is that to put off its action, you, you've got to be doing something. It's, it's intentional. It is purposeful. This new life in Christ doesn't happen just by happenstance. It happens as the new person intentionally aims to walk in a new way. They walk, And we walk in a new way, why? We walk in a new way. Because we understand that we are loved. We are loved by God. We are loved so much that he sent his son to die for our sin. He loves us and we respond, right? Remember, we talked about this, that one of the components of the gospel is response. It is, if we put it in four simple categories to remember what the gospel consists in, it is God, man, Christ, response. God is God and who He is. And man is desperate, in a desperate need, and has a God-sized problem. And Christ is the solution to the God-sized problem for us. And then there's an expectation that there's a response, that the truly saved respond to that truth. Those who have been regenerated and made new by the blood of Christ respond to that truth. Those who are not regenerated do not respond to the gospel. You understand that, right? Those who have not been made new cannot respond to the gospel. They can sit in church a uh, hundred times and hear the gospel and may be even able to more articulately explain it better than you or me. They may be able to explain the gospel, but they they the unregenerated heart will not respond to it in love, will not respond to it with intention. Will not, they won't respond to it. it. That is a work of God. That is why we say, there is no boasting. Who can boast? We cannot boast. It is the Holy Spirit of God that works that truth into us that we might respond. It takes a heart of stone and turns it to flesh that we might respond. That we might respond in love. That is a work of God. But we have work to do too. We have an intentional work to do. So if we look at Colossians 3, 1-10, through 10, it reads like this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears and you also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these... You too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put away all of them. All Put all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after its creator. Romans 12.2 also tells us this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. It's a renewal of the mind is a process, isn't it? It's a process in which believers begin to think in new and right ways as they meditate on God's word. As we encourage one another in building up the body of Christ, as we work in intentional discipling Relationships with each other. It is important for our growth in grace and our growth and the growth of our friends' faith that we open up the word of God that we might be transformed into the likeness of Christ, which is the goal of the church and the end of our discipling relationships. This is who the gospel has made you to be. This is what you've learned in Christ. Unity in the faith and growth in the knowledge of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It does not happen by happenstance any more than cinder blocks would fall out of the sky and build a building. It wouldn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. Buildings don't get built without intention. They don't get built without effort. They don't get built without work. And the same is true of our lives, that we don't get transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ without effort, without doing something without moving forward. We don't walk in a new way without taking the first step, right? You can't begin to walk unless you take that first step. You must take a step. We have to move forward. We've, we've got to be doing something. It doesn't just happen. Same thing with unity in the faith and growth in the knowledge of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It all happens through intentional work. And what is this intentional work? Intentional work. It seems to be in this text and in Colossians, it's intentionally clothing ourselves in Christ. It's intentionally putting those things that are like him on. It's intentionally doing that. It is putting him on and putting off the old. The work is putting on and putting off. This putting off is repentance, isn't it? And this putting on is faith. Repentance and faith, this continual work that the Christian does. Repentance, put it off. Faith, I believe in Him, put Him on. This is our constant work. Repentance and faith, putting off the old, putting on the new. You see, as we are growing in this and clothing ourselves in Him and intentionally taking off these things, these things no longer fit. That's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit does, doesn't it? As you've put on the old things, you put them on and you're walking around them in them and then the Holy Spirit convicts you and you go, oh, this shirt doesn't fit anymore. This place I'm walking is not fitting anymore. I need to put that off. I've got to put on Him. He is what is fitting. He's what I should wear. Putting off these old things and putting on The new things, things that are befitting of Christ, things that are befitting of His likeness, that which become, is becoming of Christ's righteousness Himself, that which declares the holiness to which God has already said you are in Christ. Remember what He says in the beginning of Ephesians 1, He says that, that you should be, that you are called to be holy and blameless. That's who He calls you. And He takes intention to walk in it, to put off the old and put on the new so that you start to walk in that to walk in that reality. Remember that as the chosen, the called of God, that you were called from one thing and you're called into another. We were called from the kingdom of darkness, weren't we? And we were called into the kingdom of light. You were once called unholy and guilty. But in Christ, you are called holy, righteous, blameless sons and daughters. Last week, we looked at walk worthy of what you were called in or a couple weeks ago. Walk worthy of what you were called in. The urging of Ephesians 4 1. Walk not in what you were once called before Christ, but walk intentionally in what God calls you now in Christ. You are called holy. You are called righteous in Christ. Walk in a way that gives worth to that calling. So, in light of those last verses that we looked at, 17 through 24, let's look at what 25 through 29 says. In light of what we've just read, that is what the therefore is Therefore, So in light of that, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. In this section, Paul says, in light of the testimony concerning who you you have become and the testimony that is concerning the way of the unregenerated and the way of what a new person in Christ lives like compared with the old. This first exhortation here is be in control of your emotions. It says be angry but do not sin. Your emotions are valid, but don't let them rule and define you. That's the way of the flesh. Giving way to your emotions without control gives opportunity for the devil. This is the idea of not letting anger take root and overcome you as you walk in the way. I can think of ways that people who have harmed me in the past I've held on to those thoughts for years. And the only one miserable is me. As I've hung on to anger, disappointment for years and years, and it takes root, right? And I am then controlled by my emotions instead of me having control over my anger, holding on to a past indignation. The new person in Christ is not to give opportunity for the devil, but to deal with anger in a new way, a controlled way a way in which it is not controlling you. Being upset is okay. Being angry, the emotions that we have, we sure are, they're real and they're valid. But the new person in Christ, with the fruit of the Spirit, lives in self-controlled life, not controlled by their emotions. Paul makes some practical exhortations to leave the old behind and put on the new. He says like this, if, if before your conversion you were a thief, instead of stealing now, put that off. B- instead of stealing, not only put that off, but instead work diligently and honestly. Instead of taking from those that have, work so that you are able to give those in need something. The old way is selfish. The new way is oriented away from self and oriented towards others, isn't it? Notice what he says here: If you if you stole, if you were a thief, no no longer let the thief no longer steal, but let him work honestly so that he may have opportunity to give. Right? The old way was selfish. The new way is selfless. The new way is others oriented. Instead of being a person who's not satisfied with what you have and desirous of what others have. Work that you may provide what others need. Instead of being a person consumed with the acclamation of things, of getting things, be a person that is given to contribution. See, repentance is not just merely turning away from something, it's turning to something new, isn't it? We don't say, I want to turn away from this. Well, instead of that, do this, is what he's getting at here. And so you were once doing this, now don't do that, but do this. Read be reoriented into a whole new way. This putting off of the old and putting on of the new is this picture of repentance. It's one thing to stop stealing while remaining a person of dissatisfaction and covetousness, isn't it? He could have just said if you're a thief before and you've been converted stop stealing. Well, that person who might have stopped stealing might still be dissatisfied with what he has. He might still be covetousness over what covetous over what other people have. He's not stealing from them anymore, but he's not new. It's not a new way. So he says here, it's another thing to be a person, not only who stops doing what you once did, but now engage in this new behavior. The thief replaces stealing and covetousness with honesty, with hard work, and with giving. The proud replaces self-righteous arrogance with humble worship, and lowly service. You get the idea, repentance come full circle is leaving behind the old, reckoning that old person dead and the new person is alive to new behaviors in a new and living way. And this new walk also begins with a new kind of talk. No longer are words used to speak of our former corruption. Instead, Paul urges the Ephesian church member here, he urges them to speak only uh when their words would produce good, words that would build up the faith of others, words that would encourage the transformation into the likeness of Christ for our brothers and sisters, words that would edify, words that promote growth in others in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus. Those words that we use that communicate the grace of the Lord Jesus. Remember that we are Word of God-directed, we are Christ-centered, we are others-oriented, and that is the way we talk as well, not just the way we walk. We walk as those directed by the Word of God, centered on the person of Christ and what He's done, and we are oriented toward living and walking towards the good of others, but it also includes our talking. This means that the words of truth that we have are seasoned with the grace of the gospel such that others around us know that they are loved by Christ. No one cares what you know until they know that you care, right? No one really cares what you know unless they know that you really love them. And that is our words, right? That is how we use our words and how we walk in this new way. Words seasoned with the gospel of grace. And finally, you see Paul say here, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit which has sealed your salvation either in word or in deed. Your redemption awaits you. Walk in that which is consistent with this reality. Speak in a way that affirms that you are among the redeemed and not among the reprobate. Put to death the heart issues that lead toward outward sin. Paul here addresses the heart issue that often manifests itself in the deeds of the tongue, doesn't he? Bitterness. Bitterness is really a wrong heart toward God. Bitterness that we hold towards other people is really a wrong heartedness towards God. It is a heart that says grace is not enough. It says I want grace for me and I want judgment for those who have, I perceive have wronged me. That's what bitterness is. is that grace is sufficient for me but not for you. It is a wrong heart toward God. It is having a, a wrong heartedness towards Him. Hebrews 12 15 reads this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Grace received is indicated by grace given, isn't it? The most gracious people I know understand the grace that's been given to them. This grace that we have received is indicated by the grace that we give. Bitterness towards others in Christ might be an indication that you have failed to understand the grace that you've received. It might be an indication that you have failed to understand that you have received grace in Christ, and it will lead to trouble, Hebrews says, and it will, really, it will lead to personal defilement. And Paul here says in Ephesians that it grieves the Spirit of God. The bitter heart becomes angry and wrathful against others in the body of Christ and it's manifested in slanderous and malicious speech. That's what he shows here, that that when bitterness takes its root and you become defiled by it, that it manifests itself in angry, wrathful speech that is slanderous and malicious towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. The sinful tongue looks like what James 3 says. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our brothers, staining the whole body, setting on on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The born-again, blood-bought believer in Christ walks in newness of life, putting to death the old manner of life as well as the old manner of speech. It's a new way to walk and a new way to talk. I'm not saying that any of us here are going to be perfect at any of this. But we need to do it with intention. You have been enabled to do it by the power of God and by the grace that He has given you. He's given you grace to walk in this new way. It takes effort. It takes intention. we got to do it on purpose. It's not just going to happen. You're not just going to wake up one day and say, I'm walking new now. I'm walking... Better than I did yesterday. You had to get up and intentionally do it. Putting off the old and putting on the newness. Walking a life of repentance and faith. I'm putting off the old, which is my repentance, and I'm putting on faith. I'm I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm going to put on Christ. That's who I need to be like. I want to put him on. It's not natural. It may not be natural for us in the flesh, is it? To put on Christ is going to be foreign in some ways. I've never walked this way before. I've never walked this way before. I don't know how to do that. But we do that intentionally, on purpose. I heard this lyric from a song one time. It says, I did not get this way just being myself. So I went out and bought a brand new pair of shoes and now I walk like someone else. And the idea of that, it's its sort of a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing, but I'm not going to get where I need to go just being myself. I'm going to put on a brand new pair of shoes and walk in the sandals of Jesus so I can be like someone else, like the one that He made me to be, like this new person. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who by your will and by your spirit you have made us a new creation. We ask, Lord, for your spirit enabling and empowering grace to guide us in putting off the old ways and putting on Christ as we walk in the transformed spirit. We now, Lord, have been made new, a way in which we can walk in a way that is pleasing to you because you have given us the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.